Let me start by confessing that I'm a skeptic. Odd to say for someone who listens to this podcast, I know. My mind for some reason just can't accept the realness of the beyond unless I have some extreme experience myself, which I have not. The small experiences I've had can be easily explained or shaken off as my brain playing tricks on me. Even though it's hard for me to believe, I'm intrigued by anything supernatural. I'll happily sign up for a ghost hunt or a tour of a so-called haunted building or place. I've even invited a Ouija board into my home just to see if anything happens, though I know nothing will. I blame my mother for this obsession. Let me start my story with a little background information. I work third shift as a housekeeper at a hospital nursing home for the physically and mentally handicapped. Back in the day, it was a tuberculosis hospital. As twisted as this may sound, when I discovered this fact, I was eager to have a ghostly encounter in hopes of proving my skeptic mind wrong. My first two years here, I was on first shift. Nothing strange happened. To me, that made sense. Ghosts don't exist, after all. I did, however, hear other people tell stories of their experiences inside the building, as well as outside of it. Doors opening by themselves, footsteps behind them only for no one to be there, footsteps in the stairwells, whistling in the one west stairwell where a patient fell to his death, shadow people standing outside staring in, and that's just to name a few. Some veteran employees would even hype up stories by tossing in the building's history, which can only be found by searching Hazelwood Sanatorium, Louisville, Kentucky, online. The main website has no history, only what we are now and that we're hiring. This fact makes believers wonder why the company wants nothing to do with its past. So the stories continue. Nothing ever happened to me personally, so all the stories were just that. At the beginning of my third year, along with some hateful words from my boss, I was moved to third shift, where I quickly became the only employee. Before everyone left, they all acted strange. For context, our office is in a hallway that's mainly used by housekeeping. We have maybe five rooms for our department, so many times one of us can be alone, especially at night, more so now since I'm the only person on third shift. Sometimes, when I was off doing my own thing, an employee would rush up and ask me if I could escort them through the hall. At first, I thought it was bothersome and ridiculous, but after realizing the hall was near the back door, I went along with them. After all, someone could simply walk in if the lock stopped working. I was asked to escort someone every other night. I remember one night in particular. I was preparing to clean the bathroom at the end of the hall and could see a co-worker enter the housekeeping hall. I was watching her when I noticed her unusual behavior. She had frozen, as if caught slacking off, but she soon scanned the area as if she'd heard something. Her eyes landed on the office door, and after a split second, she sprinted out of the hall towards me. She was shaking when she reached me. I assumed she'd scared herself, but I stayed with her until she calmed down. One by one, everyone quit or moved to another shift as I adjusted to my new tasks. Three weeks after being alone, I came to understand why those people were so reluctant to be by themselves in that hall. Our cleaning carts have a distinct sound, so distinct that people know when we're coming and will call out a hello. The sound is also strangely familiar, yet I could never come up with an answer as to why. One night, as I was loading up the cart for my shift, I heard the wheels rolling against the tile floor. Had someone stayed over and no one told me? Or had a cart been abandoned and someone was returning it? Peeking my head out from the room, I discovered there was not a soul to be found. Weird left my mouth before I went back inside. Five minutes went by, and I heard it again. 
Walking into the hall, I began searching for whoever was trying to prank me. There was no one. Done with the whole incident, I continued on my own. Eventually, my 5 a.m. break came along and I headed back to our break room. To kill my boredom, I started scrolling through Facebook, at least until a sound caught my attention. Irritated at this point, I marched into the hall, ready to capture whoever was messing with me. Again, no one. Fuck this. Remembering the building was old, I easily convinced myself the pipes had started a new musical number. Night after night, the familiar clanking of wheels filled the hall. Night after night, I'd ignore it. The sound became so common that I could pinpoint the exact time I would hear it. That was, at least, until it vanished in early July. I assumed they finally fixed the pipes. Months went by and nothing eventful happened. Until September. In mid-September, we had a terrible storm that produced a lightning bolt that struck a nearby generator. The generator connected to ours, and when it was struck, my work was engulfed in darkness. It had taken out both our main generator and the backup. I made an executive decision and gave myself an early break. Using my phone's flashlight, I carefully entered the housekeeping hall in case the locks had also gone out. The last thing I needed was to encounter an intruder. Locking the storage room after placing my cart inside, I turned to head toward the lobby, since, for some reason, it was the only place with light. The hair on the back of my neck rose as I was overcome with dread. Something was about to happen. I came to a complete stop in front of the office when I heard the automatic double doors open, doors that shouldn't be opening without being pushed since the power was out. Flashing my phone in the direction, I saw that the doors were still closed. Replacing the noise of the doors opening was the sound of wheels. Wheels I hadn't heard in months. I was completely alone. And even though I was alone, I had the feeling that someone was walking toward me. A screech quickly followed as if something had abruptly stopped right in front of me. A gurney. The word popped into my mind as I finally realized why the noise sounded so familiar. I had been hearing a gurney all along. That makes sense, blurted from my mouth as I remembered back in the day the housekeeping office was once the morgue. A shiver slithered down my spine as I got the feeling I wasn't welcome there. I sidestepped and hurried down the hall. As I exited the area, I looked over my shoulder only to see pitch black but I could tell someone was staring at me. I chalked it up to my imagination due to the situation, and I placed the event at the back of my mind. A few days later, I overheard First Shift talking and discovered that I was not the only one who had visits from our phantom when alone in that hall. It seemed like the ghost switched to First and then Second Shift. I'm still not convinced my experience is evidence of ghosts, but many of the others now avoid being alone. Our ghost doesn't visit every night anymore, but on those occasions when my guard is 100% down, as if to remind me of its existence, I'll hear the creaking of a gurney coming down the hall. Hi, I'm Jamie Markey. And I'm Michael Tatum. And this is Ghoul Intentions. <laughs> You may it. notice there's a bit of a pep in our step. Woo! The fucking holidays are over. Also, there's a spice in our drink. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's some there's some pep in our uh, in our cocktail. Jack had a drink when we were in Pittsburgh that had like a spiced cherry, also bourbon, also 
support. I mean, when they described it to me, it sounded like a dare. And you succeeded. And I was like, challenge accepted. And I tried to recreate it. And I, I guess not having it's, had the original, but you said it You said it tasted kind of like an old fashioned with like a burnt cherry oaken. Smoky spice cherry. Smoky spice cherry flavor. And I was like, all right. And I think I did a I think you did a good damn job. good job. What's great is we've had enough of it now. Everything's delicious. That's the real secret of being a good mixologist. It's really is mixing good. heavily enough that they like whatever you do because they're too drunk to know. That's right. It's really good. It's really good. <laughs> I like these cherries though. They're really they're, good. They're bada bing cherries. That's <laughs> the brand. And I bought it because it made me laugh. Um, Please tell me there's a brand of orange peel called like bada boom and they're ooh, together. That like, would be amazing. There's just drink is like made with bada bing, that. bada boom. Yeah, I like it. I like it. How was how was your Christmas? It was good. It was yeah. really good. We have the girls in town, and so oh, it's fun. Good. That it's makes fun it with fun. kids. Yeah. I was there are no children in my family anymore. Yeah. Right. So it's just a big fucking like slog. That's. I'm so happy that <laughs> it's over for you. I am. It's Ours like, is not. Christmas ending. is still... over. My sanity is back. <laughs> my family makes me want to buy a mountain shack. That's very nice. <laughs> Thank you. That's very I nice. Just, I, just, um, I wrote that in the car. The mine is, it was just, I mean, it's still going on. There's still candy being eaten and pajamas being worn all day. It's That's pretty the best great. part is like the, the laziness afterwards. It's just, yeah. I love my family. I love my family dearly, but they're a bit much. All right. Get all of us together and they're a bit much. Imagine, imagine like 10 of me, but each one of me excels at a certain negative thing. <laughs> So it's like our powers combined. It's like, oh, it's like, it's like. <laughs> Have yourself a cynical Christmas. Oh my God. No, it's like, it's like my family. My mother represents anxiety. My right. father represents depression. <laughs> oh, it's my, like the, my, it's the in and out. Yeah. Of yeah. My, my sister-in-law represents controlling type A personality. Mm. Um, as do I. So together we're like, we get along the best of anyone, but only if we agree on where the cheese should go right like, gotcha. <laughs> and usually as long as we do is we're good anywhere the cheese wants this is fact <laughs> <laughs> and my brother is kind of just like uh and my <laughs> my nephews are like like i don't know they're just one of i have two nephews one of them is that age where he's just kind of like too cool for for he's school over he's also like very much in college right now and so he's very dedicated to what he's doing and so he's like he's I he's feel got like he doesn't energy have a lot of, he's one of he those young people he doesn't have a lot of middle real estate for things that aren't part of what he's into right. which i respect the hell out of and then my Same, other my younger like, nephew I'm is not just like a anything. ball of energy that's like but he's also a smart ass he's yeah. such a smart ass <laughs> and and i love them but you get us all together in a room and after about like five hours i'm like ah and scene oh what's that oh that's the sound of me being ready to leave okay <laughs> bye. Uh, my family's so small it's pretty easy ours is pretty easy um that's kinda, that's my mother did call me up the problem child because I the can't problem. have gluten. The problem child. <laughs> you are the problem the, the child. The glue that so what keeps the family with? together and Great. you're the problem child. Thank mm. you. Mm. So this problem mm. child spent all Christmas cooking various forms of gluten-free options. Brat. And they were all fucking delicious. <laughs> You had some. You had the cheesecake. Oh, the cheese, that cheesecake is fucking great. Yeah, it was really good. The crust oh is a snickerdoodle, gluten-free snickerdoodle <laughs> cookie situation. I make people that eat cookies. gluten just don't know what they're missing. I make gluten-free biscuits that were really fucking good. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, they were mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. good, and they're it's a drop biscuit. You had one of those. Uh, yeah, you, yeah. It tastes good. like a biscuit. Yeah, it totally does. I, I like was a little cheese away. biscuit. Yeah, mm, yeah. Mm, mm. Um, so anyway, so anyway, that holidays yay, are over. Great. Now holidays. We still have one more. New Year's, New Year's Eve. No one who spends their New Year with family. 
That's true. Some people do. Well, the I girls will be with us. I don't. Well, but okay, fair. I don't. Yeah. I'm not spending. And, I don't see any of my family. I won't see my family till Thanksgiving. We're spending New Year's with you and your like family. You're but like the different. older we're brother I always family. wanted. <laughs> not the older brother I have. <laughs> Sorry for listening to And us. you're like the little sister I always wanted. Thank you. Just so I wouldn't have to be low man on the totem pole. Yeah, I definitely would have been that. Um, <laughs> I would have tried I mean, so I was, hard for approval. I was the youngest. I was the youngest. So yeah. I was like, I, I got shut on. I, you know, yeah. Yeah, I was a middle child, so I know what being shat on is. Oh, you were the invisible one, I guess. Uh-huh. Yeah, the middle child, the invisible. Right. I was the youngest child, so I was, I was the problem child that no one cared about. Right. So who I had can, to act out. The problem child who can have gluten. God damn it! That's what you expect <laughs> as a younger child, a middle child. You have it all, <laughs> which is nothing. Um, middle child, shout out. What is what is? Oh, first of all, I guess we should we, say thank you, thank to Vladimir, you, Vladimir, for, for writing this. He always sends us stories from. Yes. The uh, the the hospital that he uh, works in, and they're always so. Cr- I love a hospital story. I love such them. a great generator of content. I know. Um, I mean, it's just it's just what yeah. they do. It's great. It's great. Send us more if you please, work at a hospital. And I know you're skeptical, but anyway. man, you you turn. A good I know story. it reminds me of Jack with the skepticism thing. Yeah, I'm like, I've never had a weird experience we except this one, about, and one and that one and this one. And like, what about one. the and the? Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. yeah Which we had one. Yeah. Yes, on the way back because we went to my mom's several times, you know, before the holidays. Uh, Christmas uh, was uh. here, um, but we went. That was a soda opening. <laughs> Michael did not fart <laughs> on microphone. Yeah, um, my implants were not deflating <laughs> yet. <laughs> <laughs> so we went. We okay. So I've been to my mom's. There's several different ways you can go. Uh, one, it's the highway, and it's the worst possible fucking intersections ever. <laughs> they stress awful. me out to think about them. <laughs> if you live in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, 635 and I-30. I don't need to say anything else. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. And so um, we <laughs> we were going the back way, and I've been this back way before, and uh, I found it. It's so much easier. It's much more peaceful. It maybe takes five <laughs> minutes longer, but it's totally but, worth it. Oh, my it. God. Yeah. So much worth it, more worth it. Not and as so much, not as life threatening. Yeah. And on the way, there's this old cemetery that's just randomly on the corner of the road. And there's a sign on it that's like, you don't fucking knock our shit over because you're gonna get sued and arrested and all that shit. It and doesn't say it like and that. Because it's, it's Texas, that is exactly what it that's says. That's what it says. It's like y'all better not. Y'all better fucking not. <laughs> I don't think so, sir. <laughs> um and I think it's because a couple of the tombstones have been knocked over. Like it is an old cemetery. And a little bit down from that is this red brick school. Mm-hmm. It's it's a school. Mm-hmm. I think it's an elementary or junior high. It's still in work. And, and the side of the building is um, faces the road that I drive on. Yeah. yeah and yeah. I remember being stopped there on the way back from my mom's. And it's on the left side of the street. So it's across the other side of the traffic, right? And so I remember the first time being there. And it was just like... Some shit is fucked up <laughs> in that building. Like, all my spotty, spidey senses. You know when you pass a building that's super haunted, you can just tell. Like, yeah. And they yeah. look it. This building doesn't necessarily look haunted, but it felt haunted. And like, from I bet my car, if I turned car, the lights out right now, there'd be a bunch of glow in the dark eyes looking through the windows. Something. Like it would be a fucking Halloween decoration. And it's not even. There's not even a lot of. Uh, there are windows. And there's a fire exit on the school. Side. It's a school. Huh. Yeah, it's several stories Weird. high. Windows and, red and a brick. fire exit. Windows, huh. fire exit. Must be an old school. It is. 
<laughs> it's old school, like an old school. And uh, so, okay. So, I mean, the first time I went by, it was like something was looking at me. It was standing outside is kind of the impression I got. There was something outside that building that knew I knew it was there and I didn't fucking like it. So I pretend like I don't know that there's something there. Although every time I pass it, I'm like haunted. I say it out loud. <laughs> I said it to the girls before. Haunted, that building's haunted. And they're like, definitely, like definitely 100%. haunted. 100%. 100% haunted. And so it's like a four star haunting. Yeah, they definitely they know it's haunted. And so uh, the first this is the first time Jack had come with me back this way. Right. And mm-hmm. so Forrest is in the car. We're driving. And I was like, here's the cemetery. That's real creepy that I've told you about. And he's like, oh, OK. And then as we drive up to the school now, we had been at my mom's because Leela was getting um, a clipping. She was getting trimmed. And so I was like, while we're there, while that, cause she, the woman drives to my mom's house and does it like in her car, you know, like the, uh-huh. the drive yeah. through. Yeah, yeah. They're really nice. Uh, house <laughs> I live Mets. too far away. So I just take my dogs to my mom's house. My Boston's don't get washed there, but they needed their nails trimmed. And mm-hmm. I was willing to drive them 25 minutes to make that happen. <laughs> <laughs> it's better than trying to do it yourself. I know. So <laughs> we drove God out knows, there. God knows. Our dogs. Know, it was fuck, awful. It is, they might as well so, be cats. Let me be clearer about who was in this car on the way back. It was me driving, then Jack, then the two girls in the back seat. <laughs> uh, Dexter was sitting on <laughs> Serafina's lap. <laughs> Dot was sitting on Jack's lap. Leela was sitting on mine. Leela goes to sleep. She's the best thing in a car. She's super chill about everything. She yeah. doesn't fucking care. She's like, can yeah. I sleep here? Great. She's I'm gonna a thousand years old. She's a thousand. So she was sleep, laid down on my lap sleeping while I was driving. Dot was panting and sitting in Jack's lap. <laughs> very nervous. Very anxious. Uh, because everybody was in the car. I think if nobody had been in the car, she would have been. She would have gone to sleep. But yeah, anyway. I could see um, that. Dexter had gotten over himself in the backseat. So... <laughs> We stop by this, you know, by the school, and it's on the other side of the street. And we're on the far right lane. It's like, I think, six lanes this road is. And so there's two other cars, like rows, lanes of cars between us and the building, or in the lane, and then the building. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And But none of the cars are, like, right next to us. It's just a straight shot to see the building. And I was like, that building is haunted. And the <laughs> girls are like, yes. And Jack said, I think you just have a condition where you see all buildings and they're haunted. And I was like, no, that building's haunted. He's like, it doesn't look haunted to me. It just looks like a building. And in that moment, Dot in his lap looks past me. To the building mm. and started growling. Ooh. Like on cue, I didn't train her. I wish I could. That would have been amazing. <laughs> I've trained her to do that all the time and freak people out. But she just, her little mouth puckered up and she was like, Rrr. and she had been panting because she was nervous, right? Uh-huh. Stops panting, immediately starts growling at the, there's nobody in front of her. No, she can't see anybody. Shit. It's just the school. And I was like, I fucking told you, but I didn't say fucking because the girls were in the car with I was like, see? <laughs> Dot knows. I told you. And, J- and Jack, like Jack, is like, all right, that's weird. That's weird. <laughs> that's like, well, all right, now hold on now. So that was really fun. We had a I had I had my own adventure. weird experience just you yesterday did. when I was putting the final touches on my research for this t- this week's topic because I finally finally now that the holidays are over I've had time to delve into a topic and do mm-hmm. some like proper research into it like we we like you know I hadn't done in a couple of weeks I feel slash we needed um, an excuse to avoid everybody. Yeah. Yes. Oh, we got to do research for this podcast. I can't be around anyone. 
<laughs> I want a sign on my office door that says, fuck off, I'm researching. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, so I was by myself. And because uh, as uh, Brandon was off recording and Devin was still with his family for the holidays, right. so I hadn't come back yet. And so I'm in the house by myself, uh, which is the dogs. And um, I'm I, I'd had. OK, so Brandon made stew on mm-hmm. Christmas Day and we had a bunch of it left. And so when I woke up in the morning after Brandon was already gone, I slept the fuck in because I was still and getting stew over was a necessary cold. necessary on Christmas. That was 72 degrees. <laughs> It just was. So ridiculous. <laughs> Yay, Texas. Christmas time in <laughs> Texas sucks. <laughs> uh, <laughs> anyway, so I made myself a bowl of stew when I got up and I left the bowl um, because the dishwasher was still full. So I just left the bowl in the sink when mm-hmm. it was done. Mm-hmm. It was next to Brandon's sink, uh, Brandon's bowl that he had used. So sink, I'd already used that day. Now, a couple hours later, when it came time for, I'm like, oh, I'm hungry again. I'll make myself a bead. PB&J sandwich. This was in the middle of me researching. So I get up and I get the bread and I get a plate, put the bread on it, get the jam out of the the fridge and I can't find the peanut butter anywhere. Now in our home, it's not unusual for me to not be able to find stuff, especially (laughs) if Brandon has gotten to it first. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because Brandon uh, is a genius and like most geniuses, he is very absent-minded. So it's not... So when looking for the peanut butter, I was thorough. (laughs) Right. <laughs> out of habit because I'm I've lived with Brandon for as long as I have so I checked under the bed in the shower all the places <laughs> wasn't there and I thought well maybe we must have did we use it all up I thought we'd had PB&J the night before so maybe okay never mind uh I, we must have used all of it so fuck it I put it away and made myself another bowl of stew out of the leftovers in the fridge now I ate the stew continue doing research and when I went to put that bowl in the sink, because I still had not gotten around to emptying the dishwasher, yeah. I had research to do. Um, the fucking jar of peanut butter was in the goddamn sink <laughs> waiting for me. Like and you did right not see under it the faucet. Beforehand. No, it's right under the faucet. Yeah. There's no way I wouldn't have seen it. Like it's right there hanging out next to the little the the drain. And I'm like, what the fuck? And I'm just like, this is and of course there was plenty of peanut butter, so I could have had peanut butter and jelly. But it was like that. That was weird. That was it's fucking weird. weird. That was it's fucking weird. weird. That is weird. And the dogs have been barking a lot at shit. Ha-ha. New place. New visitors. Uh, do you have not, sage water? Do you need to be, take some sage water? I might, actually, just okay. to be on the safe side. I Let's still have, have a seance on have... your house New Year's Eve first, though. Why my house? Your house has more activity. But there's going to be people at your house. <sighs> we could have people at your house another time and do a seance. We have people at my house all the time. Yeah, but we've never done a seance. Well, no, I don't do want I to do to, that in my Do house. I have to put the dolls up before you come over? <laughs> oh, no, you don't have to put them up. Okay. Especially not if we're doing a seance. One of the Moranias, like, she's way up high now, so when you walk in, you can't miss her. Bitch. Like, no, don't call her a dick, She me. can't hear me. She can. Just don't play this in your house. She'll be fine. Oh, fuck. Oh, my God, I didn't That's mean okay. it, but you can That's fuck okay. with Michael. It'll be fine. I don't listen to this show. Anyway, okay. so... <laughs> What's our title for our today? Our title today is Await Another Voice. Ooh. And that is from uh, a book of poetry for quartets by T.S. Eliot. The entire line is, For last year's words belong to last year's language, and next year's words await another voice. So that is appropriate, end of the year, blah, blah, blah. I love it. T.S. Eliot is, if, I, if I'm mistaken, I'm looking it up real quick to see if I'm right. But T.S. Eliot, I think, is the poet who uh, wrote... Um, <laughs> who, whose work inspired Cats, the musical. I'm not shitting you. Um, That's a whole different horror I feel podcast. like we might cover it <laughs> one day on this show. Why Cats is terrible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's T.S. Eliot's we'll Old Possum's Book of Practical Cats is, is oh. the base? 
See, I feel like the, that book's cats. fine. The book's probably fine. I'm sure it is. I've never read it, now, but I don't know. Let me also say that my mom was a little, she likes movies in a way that a, a six-year-old likes a movie. She'll watch it over and over and over, which is why we couldn't watch the Santa Claus for years. Jean-Luc and I Because <laughs> the not, tape was worn out. It, we would throw them away and hide them because she would want to watch it seven, eight times over the holiday season. It was like, Ma. Oh, my God. I cannot. And now I don't like to watch movies more than once. I'm like, I'm it's done. natural rebellion. You're yeah, like, no, I can't. Once. I is... won't even watch it all the way through. Right. If I'm done, I'm done. I, I know how it ends. If I, if I know how a movie ends, Amelia Earhart, I ain't seeing that shit. I know how it ends. <laughs> so, Titanic, never saw it. I know how it ends. <laughs> They're gonna hit the fucking iceberg. Guess what? I promise you. Why have we spent two fucking hours getting here? Yeah. It took me forever. It took me going to the fucking Titanic exhibit to do it, to like, okay, let me look at some stuff. And then I saw that documentary. It's fucking amazing. There's this documentary about the Titanic and like what probably happened yeah. that caused yeah, yeah, it. It's yeah, so yeah. fucking good. Mm -hmm, anyway, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so... Uh, uh, this week, we okay. So now, when we pick up the girls, we are no longer going through. They moved north, Alabama. So now we pick them up in Memphis. Hmm. No longer in the middle of Horribleville, Mississippi. Horribleville. <laughs> um, Horribleville. Um, <laughs> and so Memphis, yes, let's fucking do it. We stay by Beale mm, Street. Love Memphis. It's, oh, Beale Street. Yeah, we have the Beale best Street. time. We went to BB King's and had their ribs. They're so oh, delicious. Fuck, fuck, and fuck. there was a band playing blues, and we had the best time. And then the next day, we went. We got the girls the next day, and we had breakfast. We walked the streets and took a picture by a tree, and went to a cemetery and had you know this great breakfast. All this magical. Stuff. You're giving those girls a magical it was so good. childhood. I had the King's oatmeal. So it was oatmeal with peanut butter. Uh, oh, oh, maple oh. syrup, butter, obviously. So they found the peanut butter. They found the peanut butter, um, and then <laughs> the maple syrup, coconut shavings with like, oh. I don't know if they were lightly toasted in bacon grease or what, oh. but and then banana amazing. slices. And oh. I was like, we can do all of this at home. Kings isn't like Elvis's yes. meal, of course. It was now so good. It. it was so good. Oh, that um, sounds so good. I'm so hungry, and I yeah. shouldn't be because I just had your cheesecake. Yeah, it was. <laughs> it was. It was great. So. Anyway, on that, we went to the cemetery. It's very cool, very old cemetery. The girls loved it. We got them cameras, little, I'll have to show you the picture. They're little black and white kind of cameras. They're super good for younger kids that you don't want to give a digital camera to. They print out stuff on paper. Oh, that's fun. If anybody's interested, let me know. I'll tell you which one it was. They, the girls love it. And so we're going to go to a cemetery here so they can take pictures. <laughs> It'll be really, really fun. Um, but while we're there, we pass the Orpheum Theater. And I have heard about the Orpheum before. Of uh -huh, course, uh -huh. all through Memphis and Beale Street, everything's old. And some of it's like either happening or like the building's dilapidated and it's falling down and yeah. it's totally fucking haunted. <laughs> but if it's right next to this like club, then it's like, that's haunted too. You can't just have one without the other. So <laughs> in my research, I was t we were talking about doing other things, but then we were drawn towards doing different yeah, yeah. We had initially. I was kind of randomly, and it's funny how there's a lot of concordance. Yeah, at least thematically. Yeah, right. So uh, I did the Orpheum Theater in Memphis, Tennessee. I do nothing about it. It's as pretty a great. Haunted hotspot. It's amazing. Oh my god! <laughs> so Tell me everything you know. I got. I have a lot of sources: Wikipedia, Tennessee State Library and Archives, the Myths and Legends section, oh, nice, Haunted nice. Memphis. The book, an article in the Memphis Flyer by Bianca Phillips, and stylebluprint.com. Okay. 
1890, on the corner of Main and Beale Streets in Memphis, Tennessee, the Grand Opera House opened and was billed as the classiest of all theaters outside of New York City. New York City? Get a rope. (laughs) (laughs) All I can think of, whatever. Get a rope. I said that to Jack. Let fans know that didn't grow up in the 90s. Right. That was the punchline of a Pace Picante sauce ad. That's right. Jack, like... when I said this, and I'm sure that there are plenty of people out there, when I was like, New York City, they all shouted, get a rope. <laughs> because I just said, when I read it, I just shouted out loud, New York City, and Jack goes, get a rope. <laughs> so we speak we speak fluent 90s. fluent 90s commercials. <laughs> yes, <we do. laughs> so, that commercial couldn't be made today. That's right. So vaudeville was the main source of entertainment at the time, mm-hmm. featuring singers, musicians, and and magician. It was the YouTube of its day. It was. The Grand became part of the Orpheum Circuit in 1907. So the Orpheum Circuit was like a chain of vaudeville and movie theaters mm, across mm, the United mm. States. It started in San Francisco. Their shows were advertised to appeal to elite audiences and were suitable for refined young ladies. The topless dancers are all wearing feathers. <laughs> it's One... classy. <laughs> One reporter noted that upon seeing a show at the Orpheum in San Francisco, why he saw just as many female attendees as male. <laughs> it was modern, it was progressive, it was uh, everything. Just like good theater's always been. That's right. After the Grand became part of the circuit, it was known as just the Orpheum. Vaudeville at the Orpheum was successful for almost two decades. Unfortunately, in 1923, a fire started in the theater and burned to the ground... All the best theaters burn to the ground, though, it's known. They really do. They're it's so true. dramatic. They do. <laughs> that energy. Memphis was not about to lose their fancy theater, though, so they got busy building another theater. And on November 19th, 1928, <gasps> the new Orpheum Theater opened in the original site of the Grand Opera House. It was de- designed. <laughs> you did this. <laughs> You did this. Your cherry, you haven't eaten your cherries. Yet. I know. I'm saving them. The I'm letting them soak cherries. in the alcohol more. I'm about to have mine while I'm listening to this story. Okay, so it was designed by architects Rap and Rap of Chicago. Do you know them? Mm-hmm. Oh, I know of them. I'm not personally. Do. They designed all of the best and most glamorous movieous houses at the time, including Chicago's Oriental Theater, yep, yep, yep. which was built over the Iroquois Theater, which, as we Correct. all know from a previous episode, also was fireproof. So it burned to the ground, <laughs> killing over 600 people. We did a whole episode on it last year. Oh <laughs> to Rap and Rap's credit, neither the Oriental, now known as the Nederlander, nor the Orpheum have burned down yet. So good for them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah knock wood. It seems like it's probably not going to happen now, knock on wood, because... Uh, it's they they you know because theaters they dead. get restorations they get because theater is dead. It's, it doesn't need fire. It's been killed by the, killed the silver by, screen by television. The small um, silver screen. Video killed the movie star. Wait. <laughs> anyway, the Orpheum seats just over two thousand three hundred people and was built at a cost of one point six million dollars in nineteen twenty eight. That's like. That's like four hundred and thirty-seven billion dollars today. That's the that's the gross national product of most countries now, combined. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I believe that's how much Beyonce gets paid per note. 
the Worth new... every goddamn penny. How she... dare you that... call her out? I... <laughs> Blesses us. She blesses us. Uh, the new Orpheum was twice <laughs> as large as her predecessor and featured glittering gold and silver leaf, marble, lush carpets, and antique crystal chandeliers, and a Verlitzer organ. Oh, the Verlitzer. What's a Verlitzer, you The Verlitzer organ. You don't ask. You know what, you know what a Verlitzer I've is. I've played a Verlitzer organ of before. Of course you fucking have. Not well. <laughs> but you played it, goddamn Or legally, it. but I did it. So the Verlitzer is an American company started in Cincinnati in 1853 by a German immigrant, Franz Rudolf, Rudolf Verlitzer. <laughs> I thought I nailed it. Like, I just nailed it. He's like, I'm going to build an organ so people know how to pronounce my name. Verlitzer. Long story short, <laughs> they're known for string instruments, but specifically the most famous instruments Verlitzer built where it's pipe organs mm -hmm. from 1914 until 1943. These were marketed as the Mighty Verlitzers. <laughs> the Mighty Verlitzers. The Fighting Verlitzers. Sorry. The organ, <clears throat> excuse me. The organ in the Orpheum has just over 1,100 pipes, wow. ranging from approximately 16 feet to the size of a pencil. The organ is also equipped with a number of sound effects to accompany silent movies. Bird whistles, fire alarms, horse hooves, etc. That's so cool. A minor stage fire in the 1950s caused the original stage curtains to burn and fall onto the organ console, badly scorching its original mahogany finish. For unrecorded reasons, it was decided to paint the console white rather than refinish the scorched wood. Mm. In subsequent years, additional gold-colored gold trim has been added. In the 1980s, an additional rank of pipes was donated to the theater to provide the organ with a stronger bass. Hmm. So this organ is the shit. All about that bass. Yes. About that bass. The Orpheum has had a few restorations over the years, and it even has a second building now that houses its educational programs. As the Orpheum improved its onstage offerings, hosting Broadway touring shows, as well as famous entertainers, efforts to advance arts education in the Mid-South were becoming just as successful. By 2012, almost 50,000 students, teachers, and families were participating in education and community outreach programs there. Oh, that's awesome. It's really cool. <clears throat> the Orpheum has, well, not there, but like throughout because of what they were doing. Right. The right, Orpheum right. has had a pretty significant history in Memphis, but the one thing you will find if you're looking for history of this particular theater is that it is haunted as actual fuck. <laughs> <laughs> so, haunted as actual as fuck. Actual fuck. It's half. Yeah. Haunted. Yeah. As okay. Fuck. So here is one of the most famous ghosts in Memphis. Go on. She resides at the Orpheum, and she is a little bitch in white named Mary. Little bitch in white. Yay! People have seen a girl about the age of 12 in a white dress in various places around the theater, and reports of this particular little girl started over 75 years ago. Wow. In the 1970s, for some reason, people started referring to her as Eurydice. Eurydice? Eurydice. 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 Eurydice from the Orpheus. Oh, from the Orpheus myth. Orpheus, Orpheum, Eurydice. This all makes sense now. I was like, Eurydice? <laughs> I was. <laughs> Eurydice. I was reading it in Southern, and it did not make sense. I was like, why would they to call be, her that to name? To be fair, in your defense, Eurydice does not look like it should be pronounced remotely like that when you see it. It does down. now that I see it, and I'm like, oh, I've fucking read that. Right. Okay. 
Yeah, but that that's okay. So that's interesting. So she was given a cultured name. She what? Well, she it's a very cultured place. Very cultured place. Uh, it was thought by then that she must have died in the 1923 fire at the Grand, but no one actually died in that fire. So that's not what it Officially. is. Officially. Officially. Well. No, I mean, nobody died in that fire. Okay. Some believed <laughs> she must have... I don't mean to be like, oh, but... It, okay. Yeah, nobody really died in... It was an... It oh, was... where did you really see come from? Well, some believe she must have been run over by a horse or a streetcar in front of the Orpheum. It's often thought oh. she was carried into the building after the accident because she seemed okay. They sat her in a seat to rest during the film, but by the time the movie was over, Mary was dead. I mean, there's no actual verification about any of these stories, right? Like... Right, Nothing. right. They're all just yeah. anecdotal. The truth is, no one really knows who she is or why she's there. That said, there have been enough reports over the years to make her more than just an urban legend. Mm-hmm. We'll get back to Mary in just a minute. But first, I want to talk about my new favorite person telling ghost stories anywhere ever. <laughs> His name is Vincent Astor. He's a retired organist for the Orpheum and a Memphis historian. The Orpheum has a YouTube channel, and I got a lot of these stories directly from his delicately mustachioed mouth. Oh, yes, I can picture him already. He seems very sweet, very kind, wonderfully descriptive, and full of sugar, sugar. (laughs) And I love him. I love him, too. I want him to tell us his ghost story. We have to have him on the show. He could give us advice and make us feel good about ourselves. Oh, my God. Just like, but like, just like, like, in a nod. He and I could play a duet together on the Wurzer organ. Oh, my God, it would be so good. He'd make us mint juleps. It would be everything. Oh, my God. I'm going to show you a video of him so you'll know. Okay. I, I feel fucking like I adore him. him. I, I got like a I little, I got a little obsessed, and <laughs> I was like, "What else has he talked about?" Because I loved it. There's so there's this other video of him telling a story about a public drag pageant that was held in the streets of Memphis on Halloween night, 1969. Oh, and no hey. one could be arrested because they had RGs in the audience. Audience. <laughs> An RG is a real girl. <laughs> And it was Halloween, so they couldn't it arrest Halloween. them. Halloween is also 1969. I know, but it was like a big deal because that was the same time that yeah. the other riots were Stonewall happening. Riots. The Stonewall riots were happening. And so it was a really big deal, and it was just really sweet to hear him. He's just such a good storyteller, and I love him. Okay, so Vincent. I love him on principle now, yeah, too. Yeah. Vincent began working at the Orpheum in 1976, and he started experiencing things almost immediately. After a show closed one night, he had some friends come down to the theater so he could play the organ for them. He heard one friend say, who's that? And they saw a little girl in white playing in the lobby. At this point, he had heard tales of the little girl being seen in the theater, but he'd never seen her himself. She was described to him as a girl about 12, with long dark braids and a white short dress with black stockings, but no shoes. Uh. So it's that 1920s school uniform. Mm, Okay. Yeah. 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 Vincent assumes she's not wearing shoes because she probably wasn't buried with shoes since at the time of her death, shoes were very expensive. Yeah. And they'd usually be passed down. Right. So that's probably what that was. Uh, She wasn't buried with shoes. She wasn't buried with shoes. Keep in mind that she's, she's been seen since the 1920s. So that's the assumed time of her death, which this week it will be the twenties again. So that's weird, huh? <laughs> well, that's just how time works. Yeah, it's just <laughs> go figure. Here we are, twenty it years. It's weird into... that we're about to be like a full century from the Roaring Twenties. I know we're the like irritated twenties. So <laughs> I think personally, <laughs> we're going to go from the Roaring Twenties to the Triggered Twenties. <laughs> 
<laughs> I believe that she's not wearing shoes because why would you ever wear shoes if you didn't fucking have to? <laughs> Fair, good point. I'm a ghost now. I'm dead. Dude, I, I, do I, I don't want. need to wear these shoes for the rest of eternity. I'm gonna be barefoot on this soft plush carpet. It says bitch in white, not bitch in shoes. <laughs> <laughs> I love I love her carefree spirit. Uh, Vincent said that people would tend to see her when he played quiet music or children's songs. Never Neverland seemed to be her favorite song. She's she's never gonna grow up. Then you make it dark. Have yourself a very cynical Christmas. To be fair, she's older than me. That's true. That's true. So she's been seen all over, but most often in the Grand Loge on the north side. Mm, mm, mm. For those who don't know, a loge is like a box seating area. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it's in the mezzanine and it's where it kind of, so it's the, it's a balcony, the main balcony that wraps around the side and the side that wraps around is the loge. And she's on the north side, uh, the third row in the seat closest to the edge. That's where she likes to sit. And they even like... She's like the Phantom of the Opera. She has her box. She has her box. Well, box seat. Her loge. Her, she's a whole um, loge. And it's this particular seat people have a tendency to see her in a lot. And at one point when they did the restoration, the last time they sold the seat because they were getting new seats. So they sold Mary's seat as Mary's seat, mm. which is cool. Mm. So in the 1970s, Dr. Everett Lee Sutter, which... Sutter will come up in your story. Oh, Sutter, Sutter. Sutter. Oh, no, Sutter won't come up in my Sutter, story. Oh, that's in the other one. Sutton, Sutton. is the name of mine, so it's not. Well, these aren't connected at all, then. Well, fuck. That's all right. Not... <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was. <laughs> they're probably from the same I mean, country whatever. initially. Who Geographically, they're not that far apart. It doesn't matter. <laughs> so. <laughs> well, I wasn't thinking our stories are connected because of that name anyway. Oh, good. Okay, so Dr. Everett Lee Sutter brought his continuing education parapsychology class from the University of Memphis to investigate the Orpheum. Mm. Dr. Sutter was the university psychologist who was intrigued by psychic phenomena. And parapsychology was taught in the 1970s, so yep, yep, yep. they did an investigation, and Vincent played the organ for them at that investigation. Eventually, mm. they held a seance and used a Ouija board, a Ouija because board. they were idiots. <laughs> they held a seance in the center of the stage. Can you imagine a seance in a theater in the middle of the stage? God, that would be fucking awesome. Yeah. The year 1921 came up, as well as the name Mary, so they believe she died in 1921 before the building was ever built. And, and that's where they came up with the name Mary. It was then the investigative class found a contrasting story to the more common legend of the accident on the street. They believe the little girl died in some sort of falling accident in the downtown area, oh. which had nothing to do with the theater. Mm. According to the University of Memphis group, Mary wandered into the Orpheum after her death and she liked it. So she stayed. I mean, it sounds like a gorgeous place with lovely right? music. Right. So <sighs> up until this point, Mary had been accused of laughing, crying, moving tools in the organ chamber when somebody was working on the organ, sneaking around, and generally scaring the daylights out of folks. However, they learned after the seance that Mary was not the only ghost in the theater. Mm. Including Mary, there are seven different feelings or spirits inside the Orpheum. They usually show up when the theater is quiet and people aren't looking very hard. Huh. 
Here are a few of the spirits reportedly roaming the theater. There seems to be a male spirit of some sort that appears white and luminous. Because of that luminescence, and it seems he's focused on Mary, it's guesstimated that this is a spirit guide who is supposed to take Mary to the other side. Or whatever. It does seem that Mary is aware of him, but she refuses to go anywhere near him. She's like, you're a stranger. Yeah, so she doesn't want anything to do with him, but he is focused on her huh. based upon the reports. Creepy. And, the and because of that, it's also assumed that she refuses to go with him. So he can't leave. He's stuck until he brings her to the other side, oh, wow. which seems... That's a... Then wouldn't there be two ghosts with every haunting? I mean, I guess it depends on how dedicated the spirit guide is maybe right. he's maybe it's not that he can't leave he just doesn't want to leave yeah maybe he's not a guy at all maybe he's just a pervy ghost that's true too i don't know but they've named him david randomly <laughs> <laughs> i want to believe it's because he's nude and looks like david michelangelo's david <laughs> and that would explain why mary wants nothing to do with him i guess i i don't really want to picture a grown-ass naked man chasing around a little go- a girl i don't either <laughs> but i do like the idea of there just being a statuesque david ghost that just stands i mean he can haunt, he can haunt me yeah, yeah. <laughs> but i mean these are there's stories that he's focused on her i don't who knows if they're true who knows? I mean, well, who knows what that relationship is? Or if they're really, because it seems very arbitrarily made up too. Like, oh, he's come to take her to the other side. Yeah, again, it's kind of like, how the fuck do you know? Have you seen his credentials? Yeah. Maybe he's just another ghost that's hanging out and he's like, hey, little girl, are you here too? What's going on? And she's yeah. like, what? weird. Or maybe it's really sad and he sees uh, her. This is my arbitrary story. <laughs> In my movie, it's her brother or her father who dies later. Um... And he's come to see her. She can't see him. It's not that she's avoiding him. She Aww. can't see him. And he sees her. See, but they my, can't connect. It's so, so sad. sad. I'm going to make this funny again okay. and turn it into like, <laughs> she, she's a ghost. And I, in my movie, we go on a like a haunted tour of this place and run into this ghost, mm-hmm. both of them. Mm-hmm. And little Mary just looks at us and she's like, yo, do y'all see that shit over there? <laughs> <laughs> this place is haunted. <laughs> the ghosts are like, that's like, this language, Mary. Haunted. Language. <laughs> this place is haunted as actual fuck. As actual fuck. <laughs> <laughs> and the other ghost thinks the same thing. It's like, I'm just the ghost of a paranormal investigator trying to get this little girl to say something. And we're like, dude, you're dead too. You're dead too. Fuck. No wonder I'm so shiny. So I was right. <laughs> <laughs> so there's also a very unhappy and happy woman. Let me say that again. An unha- an 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 unhappy woman. There is a very unhappy woman. Thank you. In the foyer of the balcony, some psychic at some point said her name was Eleanor, and that she died in the 1930s. She was jilted or some such. That whole story. <sighs> so she's a real bummer. Okay. Yeah, Vincent okay. <laughs> Vincent comes back again with his great description. He describes coming across her as a real icky feeling. <laughs> <laughs> he says it's I love like Vincent. I love he's him. so good. It's like you've just put your hand into a tub of raw liver. It's slick and it's cold and it's eerie. Vincent says it's not, I know, right? It's so descriptive. He says it's not malevolent, like she's going to make something happen or she's going to get you. It's not like that. It's just, it makes it feel like you don't want to be there anymore. It's icky and uncomfortable. 
It so feels he like felt liver. It. The first time he felt it, he was like, I'm just going to leave here. I'm just going to go. This is not, you know, you are. You need to work some mm. things out and I'm going to let you do it. Right. Oh. <laughs> there should be a traveling ghost therapist. It would really help. Just like everyone in the world should have therapy, all the ghosts should have therapy. Can you imagine? Doubly so, because talk about not if, being able to let go. If everybody in the world had therapy, there would be no ghosts. Everybody mm. would have everything well, settled. We'd run out of content. Yeah, by the time that happened. Okay, so <clears throat> there's supposedly a masked apparition as well. Oh, Phantom of the Opera Very style. Phantom-esque. There's not a ton of information on it. It's probably bullshit. Probably. I'm leaning that way, probably but I don't started know. around the 80s and 90s with Phantom of the Opera. And Wood Rivers Phantom <clears throat> the Opera. Probably when Phantom was playing In there. a few years, there'll be a ghost of a, of a cat, a giant man-shaped cat. Right. <sighs> That's terrifying. Right. Um, A lady in a red dress is seen as well. According to a Reddit user, uh, Six Excuses, I think is what their name is. This isn't my story. (laughs) Six Six excuses. Excuses. This isn't my story, but my partner at the time worked in the music industry and found himself in crawl spaces, attics, and basements running wire and sound equipment to hidden areas of the buildings. Mm -hmm. We lived in Memphis at the time, and he was called to the Memphis Orpheum Theater downtown to repair a speaker. He walked through the front doors and paused, unsure of where he needed to go, and was greeted by a lady in a red dress. He asked her where the office is to check in and that he was there to repair the speaker. And the lady tells him to just go down the hallway. And he says, thank you, and heads to the direction she points. After a few minutes, he realizes there's no office where she showed him and finds someone else to help direct him. He later tells the contact person about his first encounter. Confused, she tells him that no one working at the Orpheum fits that description. His boss later tells him about the ghost who appears to people sometimes at the theater, and she is always in a red dress. And doesn't know where the office is. Does, does, do not ask her for directions. She is not going to know where it is. She's very sweet. She That's, just she's, she's no help at all. Precious, that ghost. Uh, they go on. I had a friend who worked there as a wardrobe assistant, and she recalls a moment when she went into a dressing room by herself to pump milk for her baby. The dressing room door never closed. It was just broken, and everyone knew that. The door just didn't fit into the door space. She sat down with her back facing the door for a little more privacy. As she sat there, she got this weird feeling as she was playing on her phone and heard the door shut. Frightened, she stopped pumping, gathered her things, and pulled open the door. She went to search for the other lady she knew was working at the time and asked her if she shut the door, and the lady said she had not been back there yet. Creeped out for sure, she would not go back there alone anymore. So... Here are a few more Mary stories. Mary is by far the most prevalent ghost in this building. Mm. You know, you she's look the for star other attraction. She's, she's definitely the star attraction. Some people believe, some people don't, but there are so many stories about her. It's hard to believe there's not something there. Right, right, right. So Vincent told a story of someone that was relamping the dome, which is not a very safe thing. <laughs> this person supposedly had nerves of steel, which you would assume they would have to have nerves of steel oh, if yeah. they were hanging from a ceiling, replacing a fucking light bulb. <laughs> Before the man and the ceiling of like over the seats of the theater, right? The dome yeah, is, is like up the there. Gigantic, yeah, gigantic. Like... So we're like four stories. Up. <laughs> yeah, just hang in there. <laughs> I have this idea that they're just screwing in one light bulb, even though I know that's not what it is. But still. <laughs> so before the man started his work, Vincent had been playing the organ. The man who did not believe in ghosts later told Vincent that he'd been playing hide and go seek with a little girl in the Grand Loge. Once, 
and I want this. This is a really oh. good story too. So she's not bad. Like she's, no, she's playful. Fun. She's fun. It seems like the other things that had been credited to her, the crying and the upset, are actually other spirits. The negativity. It's not her. It's the liver spirit. It's the, the liver spirit. It's Eleanor the liver. <laughs> so <laughs> once an usher was working during a film when he noticed a young girl sitting in the Grand Loge. He went up to let her know that that area was off limits at the time and to tell her to go back downstairs. Mm. He, if, You know how like if it's not busy enough, they just only open up the lower floor. Right. right. So that's what it was. He was going to go tell her GTFO. He never <laughs> saw the little girl, but he did find someone else. A young woman had gone up to the mezzanine to eat her lunch and watch the movie. The usher began talking to the young woman, and they eventually fell in love and got married. They credit Mary with bringing them together. Oh, I love That's that. That's sweet. Oh, in the save 19- the day. <laughs> I know. I love it. And in the 1980s, Stanley, an employee of the theater, was locking up the exit doors. At the time, they had those security bars that you would pull down and latch Mm. into place so that nobody could open the doors. And he heard, so he had locked one half and was on the other side locking, and he heard one of those bars fall down, like, clink. And he was like, oh, that's weird. So he goes over to that side to see this bar had been unlocked, and then he hears, clink. From the other side. <laughs> and so Stanley. Mary is playing Pong she is, with Stanley. He left. <laughs> he was like, thank you, no. I'll be leaving right now. Uh, Brett Batterson, the CEO of the Orpheum Theater Group, uh, and he deserves a shout out for being a huge positive influence on the Orpheum in Memphis. Mm. He's really bringing the whole community aspect of the theater to a new level. And he's pretty fucking amazing. And some of the stuff I read, he's just brilliant and and doing oh, a great awesome. job of, of awesome. all of this stuff. Anyway, his wife has had a run-in with Miss Mary. Brett said, we were at Jerry Seinfeld and we're sitting in the first box closest to the stage and my wife's chair was next to open air space. So mm-hmm. she's on the edge. She was sitting in the chair that's called Mary's chair. She kept thinking someone was behind her and she looked around and nobody was there. She felt a tapping on her shoulder through the whole show while she sat in Mary's seat. During a production of Annie, the girl playing Annie was Rosanna Sorrentino, who also played Annie in the 1982 movie. Oh, in the scene where Annie escapes in a big laundry basket, uh-huh. Roseanne was inside the laundry basket, just being an actor in a laundry basket. <laughs> when she heard the voice of a girl speak to her, nobody was there. She's the only one in the basket. <laughs> <laughs> so she assumed that the voice had to have been Mary. She believed uh-huh. it was Mary. Annie saw a ghost. I just love the idea of Mary watching this and being like, this is the most relatable musical I've ever seen. And I don't know what she said. It didn't say what she said, but I like her being like, you're doing a great job. You're so good. It it. is a hard knock life. You get it, girl. It is. Um, She wouldn't have said you get it. The sun will come out tomorrow. It will. (laughs) Let me know what it looks like. I haven't seen this in years. Um, and that's when it gets creepy. So I don't think she probably said that. Anyway, <laughs> it seems that performers do see her the most. Mm. Other notable actors that have seen Mary, <gasps> Anthony Quinn oh. and Yul Brynner. Now, Yul Brynner. Oh, full disclosure. Fuck. I did get nicely dis- <laughs> distracted by Yul Brynner's history and sending pictures of his full disclosure to Michael. <laughs> oh my God. I was not aware Yul Brynner. Had done nude photos. He did nudes before he became 
when he like so he has a crazy history you gotta look him up right fantastic i got sucked into that and and he did nudes before he became famous Uh, when he lived in when he he first moved to the united states just gorgeous they're very tasteful nudes they are very tasteful he had abs of steel and tasty and he was he was a gorgeous like he was a gorgeous fucking man and a specimen he was a specimen and i would say he was well endowed (laughs) <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, he was, oh, Explains yeah. a lot about his yeah. personal life. Yeah, he definitely had that big dick energy. <laughs> <laughs> and it was not an act. Right. Fascinating. <laughs> so anyway, uh, yeah, uh, so that was a highlight. I'm not going to lie. The highlight of this week was sending those nudes to Michael. It was, was really like, fun. Oh, my God. Thank you, Jamie, for blowing up my phone You're with welcome. nudes of Yule Brenner. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a good friend. <laughs> it's like, did you, you see like, these? It was like, like, I didn't know. I was like, like, boom, wow, boom, boom. It's still Christmas. Let <laughs> <laughs> try. Uh, for those who don't know, Yul Brynner is most widely known for playing the role of King Monkut in The King and I, mm-hmm, a role he mm-hmm. played 4,625 times. Yes. Apparently, he was re- rehearsing for that show at the Orpheum when he saw Mary several times. Wow. Uh, in 1977, the cast of Fiddler on the Roof had so many experiences. I love Fiddler on the Roof so much. <laughs> yeah. They held their own seance immediately after the opening of the show. <laughs> like, so much shit was going on. They are like, we gotta You're figure like, this May out. May God bless you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> they just worked it into the show. All right. Uh, the theater's first production of A Chorus Line was sidetracked when an actor's intentionally off-key singing of Twinkle Twinkle Little Star mm. in the auditions was interrupted by a child's voice joining in from backstage. <gasps> no! Perfectly on pitch. I, you know what? This, this is crazy. This is crazy. This is crazy. But I love it. Um, so Brandon was in a production of Fiddler on the Roof mm-hmm. that was done here in town a couple of years ago. Well, this is this is Chorus and, Line, but go ahead. I, hang on. Okay. The director was Michael Serechia, who originated the role of Tony on Broadway. Oh, that's cool. Of A Chorus Line. Of A Chorus Line. Yeah. That's so, so cool. There you go. There you go. Sorry, just I wonder if he was in tour with them because this is, I mean, they were He might have been. Shows. He might have been because he was on tour with it. Like he was up for, uh, at some point, he played every male character in a chorus line. Oh, wow. At, during the course of his career, I believe. Oh, my gosh. And I like to believe it's He's also a really nice guy. I've written stuff for him before. Oh, nice. Uh-huh. Uh, as oh, that's actor. exciting. Uh, but yeah, so that's, and I wonder if he, I have to, next time I see him, I'll ask him, like, you were you, should. The were you there to, were, was it part of it was a, in like, the a 70s, tour? probably. That was, 80s, well, that's, that's when it, that's when it was, it would have been on tour. <gasps> uh, maybe someone we know heard Mary sing. Stay tuned. We'll get back to you on that. Um, so after that happened to prevent it from happening again, the entire cast was gathered together off stage the next night, but the same thing happened. <sighs> It's like Mary going, look, you're singing it wrong. I know, I know this, this song. is not how this song goes. I don't know this chorus line bullshit, but I know Twinkle Twinkle Little Star, <laughs> motherfucker, and you are off. Well, thank God it was Twinkle Twinkle Little Star and not awkward like Tits and Ass. That would have been weird right. if she was singing Tits and Ass, because that's weird, also a great song. But also amazing. <laughs> okay, so to finish, according to Haunted Memphis by Laura Cunningham, over the years, Orpheum ushers, guests, performers, and even hard-nosed skeptics have all reported seeing the little girl. Usually right before she appears, you begin to feel an intense, damp cold that reaches through your body. The most vivid sighting of Mary came in 1979. A small group of people were at the Orpheum late at night listening to Vincent Astor play the organ. Each time Astor played Never Never Land, the theater became deathly cold. 
Soon, members of the group noticed a faint light darting in from the lobby and down behind the seats in the far back of the theater. Upon looking out into the lobby, they saw a little girl with brown hair dancing in the distance. Some people felt compelled to follow her as if they were in some sort of trance and being summoned. Several people went into the lobby after her, but by the time they got there, she had disappeared. Immediately, a furious rattling began in the broom closet just off the side of the lobby. The group quickly left to join back up with the others, and the rattling stopped. But the little girl reappeared and stayed for over 45 minutes. The intense feelings of being watched and the icy coldness persisted while the group was in the theater. Wow. Oh, yeah. I love it. So good. It was so good. So that is the Orpheum Theater. Oh. And the ghost of possibly Mary, but who knows? I like Eurydice. 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 Eurydice? Eurydice? <laughs> Man. I'm, I'm... Sometimes I feel real dumb. You're this not. It's really. It's I. I encounter. I've read words. the fucking. I've read well, it. Yeah, but you wouldn't know that it's pronounced that way unless you've heard it. Because not it's when sure I'm reading it doesn't, Memphis. It doesn't things. look. That was great. Thank you. That was great. Now I chose to do not a ghost story, but something very paranormal and very fucking weird. Oh, I'm and it's actually a follow up. <laughs> I had to ignore it. I'm eating the chair now. Yeah. I had to ignore it while he was telling Jack because he couldn't keep it to him. I had to tell Jack because Jack grew up not very far from what mm-hmm. happened. Um, is still happening, actually. Actually. Mm-hmm. So do we need to take a break and make another drink? No, no, let's do it. All right. Well, it's weird. It's... All right. Okay, do it. Tell me. We were just we were just uh, fantasizing about Vincent Astor telling us that we were pretty. <laughs> <laughs> I, in my movie, Vincent Astor told Yul Brynner he was pretty. Uh, and meant every fucking word. Ugh. Like, I think Yule was there it, before Vincent, but maybe, maybe not because he played into the eighties. He played. Yeah, Yule Brenner was still around. Vincent, if you're listening, have you seen Yule Brenner's penis? Because <laughs> we have, know. and I'm gonna have. say, I'm just saying, oh, <laughs> uh, King and I, bitch, back off! It's you and the king. <laughs> oh. Some people say okay. he was a real dick, and I say, uh-huh. <laughs> he sure was. It's like his penis is just a version <laughs> of him between his legs. <laughs> it's, it's, Magnificent. His penis is also bald. And a little full and, of itself. It has abs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, God. You this old bourbon is too oh. hot to be making those jokes. <laughs> I'm ready. So my topic is going to take us back to an earlier episode. <laughs> kind of an update, kind of an update. So my sources, there's a really great website called Planet Weird, which is dedicated to all things paranormal. Uh, I'll get into them a little bit because they have a, a pretty significant role to play in how this story unfolds. We've uh, used Planet Weird before. Yes, uh, I really like their style. Also, mm-hmm. from a documentary, some of them are putting together for Planet Weird um, that's available now in uh, multiple parts called Hellier, Kentucky. And highly recommended. It's Hellier. 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 Sorry, I'm saying it wrong. It's Hellier. H E L L I E R. But pronounced H E L L. That's confirmed yeah. is Hellier. H E L L Y E R. Hellier, an idiot. So. Let me just jump right into it because you know nothing about the story. No. I didn't until I started researching it. I was like, on a, on a whim, I just decided to look up stories that were similar uh, 
in tone to the one we had done before, and I found that one we had done before actually has some updates. So, I call it the Kentucky Goblins. Come back. Come back. Uh, Intrepid listeners will recall, no doubt, intrepid longtime listeners will recall what I think is one of our scariest forays into high strangeness, namely the 1955 Kelly Hopkinsville encounter, during during which a rural Kentucky farmhouse came under siege by little green men who weren't, it turns out, all that green. (laughs) Right. Now, to those of you for whom this is new information, I recommend strongly episode 35, The Story You Believe. Just be prepared to have your capacity for belief put to the test. I know mine was. Um, Don't worry, though. You needn't be familiar with that account to be scarred for life by the one I'm about to tell you. This is exciting. (laughs) But just in case, here's a Sparks Notes version of the the Kelly Hopkinsville encounter. On the night of August 21st, 1955, the Sutton family, S-U-T-T-O-N. Not Sutter, um, which is right. different. That's a different name entirely, in it's, case you... Not entirely. I mean, they share three letters, four letters. Uh, the Sutton family and their house guests were bedeviled by a group of bizarre creatures whose likeness has since passed into modern legend. The beings stood around four feet tall, had massive football-shaped heads, long, gangly arms that tapered into claws, stubby legs without knees, bat-like ears, slits for mouths, and enormous glowing yellow eyes. We They're... didn't have... Baby Yoda as a reference when we first... Well, these creatures, actually, in the description, is what inspired... Uh, Gremlins. Gremlins. Yeah. Very true. Um, their bodies gave off a vague luminescence and moved as if underwater, according to witnesses. Every so often, the creatures defied gravity altogether. When shot at, they would momentarily brighten, tumble mm-hmm. backward, and scuttle off on their knuckles like apes. The onslaught... What about the brightening, Les? Is it like a body scream? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, also, they, the, the, the people that would shoot at them, uh, the Sutton family who would take shots at them, and most of them did. Uh, Not just for shits and giggles. They were being hearing, attacked. They were. These things were fucking coming <laughs> yeah. out of their house in the middle of the night being fucking weird. And they were like, ah, these fucking crazy things. Um, when they would shoot at them, they would hear a sound like a, they described it like a bucket rattling, a uh, bullet rattling in a bucket. Uh, like they were hollow? Or like something was happening to the bullet when it hit them that, that you know, it was just weird. So, like but the I, but never, they never succeeded just... in killing <laughs> or wounding any of these creatures uh, because the creatures kept coming back and back and back. They would just be like, oh, they would tumble backwards almost comically. What if they were holograms? Well, they still had physical presence because they touched things, grabbed things, oh. left marks, and right, we'll, we'll get to that. So the onset, you know, go back and listen to the original uh, story because we go into more detail there. And this is just a kind of, again, the Sparks Notes version. But the onslaught continued into the wee hours during a lull in the attack. The Suttons raced to the nearest police station and brought back the sheriff and several troopers from around from various counties, along with news journalists who got wind of the goings on. And they all came back and they noted evidence of the struggle described, and including an odd patch of glowing earth nearby the house, which no one could account for. But other than that, caught no sight of the creatures personally. Um, everything kind of died down and everyone went home. The Suttons kind of hunkered down for the rest of the night. And the entities returned just before dawn, peering in through screen windows, scampering across the roof, floating playfully across the lawn, etc., etc., until sunup, after which they were never seen or heard from again. Now, if that all sounds weird, give the full story a listen, because you don't fucking know the half of it. Yeah, it's weird. (laughs) Now, for some, I will say the relatively 
as relatively modern uh, as the tale is, especially compared to the majority of topics we tend to cover here on this show, mm -hmm. the sci-fi elements coupled with its remoteness from the present day do tend to make the story a little difficult to absorb on the surface. Perhaps for the same reason that some folks like myself find it easier to be swept away by a classic Victorian ghost story than a black and white horror movie. Who knows why? But if I told you uh, what if I told you the Kentucky Goblins, as they've been indelibly dubbed by it fellow Fortians? It sounds like a great drink. <laughs> Maybe I'd love a Kentucky this. Goblin. What if I told you they were an ongoing concern? Ooh. On April, now be prepared. This is a weird fucking story with a lot of twists and turns, and and it's going to be full disclosure. This is going to be at least a two-parter. Okay. So we're not going to get even to the weirdest parts of it today. All right. Though there's plenty. <laughs> Weird in what I have to go over. On April 22nd, 2012, Greg Newkirk of Planet Weird, an online magazine dedicated to all things paranormal, which I highly recommend, received a curious email from a man calling himself David. Now, David's surname, uh, Greg prefers for reasons that will become clear to redact. The strange email reached Greg through a long-neglected, now totally defunct website associated with Greg's former investigative outfit, Ghost Hunters Incorporated. Odd given that David's email had little seemingly to do with ghosts. Mm. Hello, David wrote. I received your contact information through a mutual acquaintance who assures me that you are well-equipped to investigate peculiar problems. Furthermore, I believe you may have interest in these events beyond any compensation that I am prepared to deliver in order to have these issues sorted. So this but was written in 1863 in England? Is that what I'm hearing? <laughs> no, I think, and we don't know much about uh, the guy who wrote it, though we'll, we'll learn a little more than, um, than it sounds like we know. But um, to me, he sounds like either a doctor or a lawyer because he's carefully parsing his language. Right. Um, for the past six or months... Or me on Twitter. <laughs> I don't carefully do shit on Twitter. That's a joke. <laughs> David goes on, for the past six months, he says, I have been living in a rural home located on the border of West Virginia and Kentucky, where my family is nightly assaulted by creatures that I have come to believe are of an extraterrestrial origin. Ooh. These beings appear to be the size and stature of a small child, devoid of any facial features save for large, oily eyes and lipless mouths. They frighten my children by peering through their bedroom windows, chirping at one another. What if they're just mountain people? They have to flee. <laughs> <laughs> they have to flee. To... <laughs> I'm all throwing apple at you. Uh, the... <laughs> they actively attempt to enter my home in the middle of the night. Last month, they took my dog. The police refused to provide any further assistance, attributing the problems to wild animals and forwarding my complaints to the State Game Commission. I believe they are coming from an abandoned mine located on the edge of my property. Wow. Though I'm armed, I'm afraid that I'm far too frightened to enter the mine by my lonesome and cannot convince any sympathetic friends to accompany me, though I cannot blame them. I'm I convinced... can't either, because anytime I see those people fucking go into abandoned mines, I'm like, what the fuck are you mm -hmm. doing? People that make their living on YouTube doing shit like that. I am huh. convinced, he says, that the only answer is to collapse the mine. I believe this is where we can be mutually beneficial to one another. If you are prepared to assist me in this matter, I can offer you permission to record and document these events under the condition of anonymity. I can guarantee you evidence of these creatures, which I assure you are not, quote, wild animals. Please respond ASAP, David writes, thank you. Now, assuming this to be a prank, Greg 
replied back, saying the man's problems seemed to be beyond the scope of Ghost Hunters, and that at any event, GHI, Ghost Hunters uh, Incorporated, had since regretfully disbanded. Now, Greg is also the first person to admit that he was a fucking teenager when they started GHI, and it was always very tongue-in-cheek. It was just a bunch of kids that were interested yeah. in the paranormal, and they wanted an excuse to go, like, trampsing around graves at night or abandoned buildings. Right. So they weren't a serious outfit. seemed odd that this guy, if it had a serious problem, would be contacting a website that hadn't really been active in seven years right. and at any and at its height was still just a bunch of fucking kids. Yeah. But, you know, Zach Baggins is a thing, so <laughs> but at least, you know, he's no, got an IMDB there's, page. There's um, no at least. <laughs> so no, so anyway, <laughs> no at anyway. Least. So now as to who the mutual I hope he doesn't listen to this show and get his feelings hurt. Why would he listen to this show? It's not about him, you're right. But... <laughs> He might be a nice guy. Maybe he just has to play him on television. It's reality television, so none of it's real. Anyway, now as to who this mutual acquaintance that led him, that led David to Greg could be, right. Greg could only scratch his head. A reply came the following day. Thank you for your prompt response, David wrote. I do not blame you for being skeptical of my story. I appreciate you keeping an open mind about my situation, and I am more than happy to provide you with as much information as I am able. <sighs> I was given your contact information through a man by the name of Terry Wrist. With these disturbances, uh, when these disturbances, rather, first began occurring, I was only inclined to confide in a personal friend who I knew had fringe interests. He offered to share my concerns with a man that he had dealt with, uh, that he knew that had dealt with somewhat similar experiences in previous years. I accepted the offer. Within a week, I was informed that this gentleman had long since retired from pursuits of this kind, but was willing to provide me with contacts who may be willing to help. This is how I came to contact you. I do not have an answer as to why, other than a referral and a recommendation from a gentleman I do not know personally, I was under the impression that you could shed light on that question for me. Huh. I am located, David goes on to say, in Pike County, just outside the town of Hellier, Kentucky. Hellier is located roughly 30 to 60 minutes from the borders of Virginia and West Virginia, respectively. Most of Pike County is made up of small towns and rural communities. It is not uncommon to go days without seeing my closest neighbors. And it's called Pike County? Sorry, Pike County. I moved to this area. I'm just going to read the rest of it like this. No. Like Jack? I moved to this area for the peace and quiet. I have received neither. <sighs> I have lived in this area for just under seven months, and in that time, the majority of the harassment has occurred within the past three. I did not become aware of any strangeness until early December, although that is only when I began to keep a record of these events. At first, it was merely strange tracks in the snow around my home. I had initially imagined that they were from some kind of animal, though it closely resembled a human footprint minus the heel. At that time, mm. I was under the impression it was simply a single creature. It wasn't until the weeks following that I began to suspect I was dealing with a number of what I thought were individuals hazing me upon my arrival to the area. At this point... I was incapable of keeping my dog outdoors overnight. Any attempt to leave her leashed would result in her barking herself hoarse until she was allowed back indoors. In the weeks leading up to this particular evening I'm about to talk about, I was awoken to find my shed doors open on several occasions, many of my children's toys missing or moved, and my yard in general disarray. I had already given a report to the police who were making it increasingly clear that they were not interested in my case, barring physical harm or large-scale theft. The second week of January, I was having breakfast with my family when my five-year-old daughter began talking about, quote, kids without hair. <sighs> when my wife inquired about these kids, our daughter informed us that she had spent the previous night watching them play in the yard. As you can imagine, this was of some concern. <laughs> I asked Maybe. my daughter what these kids looked like. She told me they were 
bald like grandpa and weren't wearing any clothes. The very same day, I found the wreath that hangs inside <laughs> our grandpa. rear porch. <laughs> they weren't wearing any clothes either, like grandpa. <laughs> <laughs> why we don't see grandpa anymore the very same day i found the wreath that hangs inside our rear porch stuffed into our mailbox huh. i purchased and installed motion activated floodlights the following day for a time the problems ceased it wasn't until the end of february that our daughter informed us that the bald kids had returned i was awoken to the sound of my daughter screaming and rushed to her bedroom only to meet her halfway down the hall when my wife and I were finally able to calm her down enough to speak, she told us that the kids were trying to peer into her window, but that they couldn't reach and instead had taken a tapping on it. Mm. She wasn't, she hasn't slept in her own bedroom since. It was that morning that I phoned the police for the second time and they responded by finally sending a trooper to our residence. I informed him of the regular mischief, how I was now unable to let my dog outdoors after dusk and of the bald kids. When we found the ground disturbed under my daughter's bedroom window, the officer informed me, very matter-of-factly, that we were dealing with an animal. Now we'd be better off contacting the game commission. Almost every day for the following week, I would find some evidence that something or someone had been on my property the previous night. Smudges on the windows were not uncommon. Stones from That's the walkway. rude. Someone's got to wash right? those smudges. <laughs> Stones from the walkway were dragged to the other side of the lawn, and I had found tears in the screen door. Mm. On Wednesday, the 7th of March, I finally witnessed the kids without hair for myself. <laughs> the dog woke me up around 1.30 a.m., scratching at the back door and whimpering to be let out. I noticed that the motion floodlight was on and went to the kitchen window to check that the shed doors were still closed when I realized that I could see the shadow of an individual cast across my lawn. <sighs> From the angle I was positioned at the window, I could not actually see the source of the shadow or the floodlights. The dog was pacing circles around the back door and I could hear someone rifling through a box on the porch. Filled with more anger than common sense, the only reaction I could muster was to bang loudly on the window and yell, at which point I heard the screen door on the porch swing open and slam against the house. I heard what I can only describe as chirping at this point. It sounded much like a skunk, if more guttural. I then realized... Skunks chirp? They kind of make a kind of a... It's more of a... I call it more of a bark, kind of a... It's the uh -huh. way a squirrel. Have you ever heard of squirrel? Squirrels, yeah. It's chirpy. It's, uh, it's technically a chirp, I guess, but it's not It's not high-pitched. Yeah. I can, maybe they don't have as many squirrels. But because our squirrels here, they give the dogs, like, so much shit oh, with yeah. the chirping. It's like, ah, you can't get me, motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I then realized, David goes on to write, that they were that there were more than two people on my property and that the shadow, which had been reacting as if it didn't know which way to run, was quickly joined by another. For a moment, I watched as the shadows chirped at one another when I noticed a figure out of the corner of my eye. Standing in the flower bed, just to the bottom left of my window, was a small humanoid figure with sickly pale skin, completely hairless, standing roughly four feet tall. It was looking just in the like direction... <laughs> <laughs> Dad, uh, it, was, it, was, it was looking in the direction of the shadows and had clearly come from around the left side of the house opposite the porch and had not noticed me as far as I could tell. Its face was devoid of features, save for large round eyes, very reminiscent in shape and color of a bird's eye. It had no nose to speak of and only a small slit for a mouth. It didn't appear to move its mouth as it chirped, sounding more as if the noises originated from its throat. It was most certainly not a wild animal and even more certainly not a child. I was too terrified to move and watched as the creature hopped to the others and together they scrambled into the woods on the right side of my property. It was clear to me then that there were at least five in the group. Ew. 
I have not mentioned this particular incident to my wife, and the only other person who I've spoken to about these creatures are yourself and the close friend who introduced me to your mutual friend, Mr. Wrist. I would prefer to keep things that way and to approach this problem as discreetly as possible. Since that evening, my dog has gone missing from the porch yet to return, and I can only imagine that his disappearance has to do with these creatures. Because he didn't want to fucking be out there. He made that very clear, and you put him out on the porch anyway. I've gone looking for him during daylight hours only to find many of my missing belongings longings scattered at the entrance of an abandoned mine shaft at the far edge of my property. I dare not go inside. My friend has convinced me that my experience is similar to that of other visitation experiences. He puts visitation in quotes, providing me with material and references that back up his claims. I'm aware of the outlandish nature of what I've told you, but I'm afraid that I have no other explanation for what I have seen, at least at this time. I can see no other option than to seal the entrance to the mine. I cannot achieve this on my own, and I'm too frightened to try. I don't dare share this information with others for fear of ruining my career and the reputation of my family. I am prepared to compensate your travel expenses and offer oh. you unrestricted access with whatever recording equipment that you desire, only on the condition of complete anonymity. Beyond that, I have no other <laughs> desire than to be rid of this problem. I like that. And it complete anonymity i'm gonna post this letter <laughs> <laughs> well he did keep his information right anonymous. that's true please inform me of what you would like photographs of and where to send them thank you again david now outlandish though the story seemed greg couldn't help but be intrigued by its resemblance to the kelly hopkinsville incident of 1955 um otherworldly visitors wreaking havoc on a remote kentucky farmstead dismissive policemen a terrified family just about all the boxes were checked yeah. The fact David now referred, to, uh, the fact that David referred to his dog as both male and female at different points of the email tended to cast the story into doubt. But Greg was willing to overlook this discrepancy for the time being. The name Terry Wrist also failed to ring a bell with him. Conferring with Ghost Hunters Incorporated alumni, Greg determined the group had never worked with any such person. Persian. <laughs> any such person. A any Google, such bourbon. A Google search dug up something that thickened the plot considerably. Terry R. Wrist just so happened to be the pseudonym of a supposed ex-military occultist interviewed by Alan H. Greenfield for his books, The Secret Cipher of the Euphonauts and The Secret Rituals of the Men in Black, both published mm. in the 90s. These ponderous tomes are, in Greg's own words, quote, about as fringe as you can get when it comes to ufology, with instructions on contacting ultra-terrestrials, as they're called. Ultra-ufology. <laughs> via occult rituals supposedly deciphered by Aleister Crowley himself. Ooh. Now, in an interview prefacing the index of both books, Terry Wrist, a name he readily acknowledges is an alias, describes a guerrilla contingent of Vietnam vets formed in the early 70s to infiltrate and destroy a series of secret underground alien bases sprawling beneath the southern United States. After detailing oh, the team's fun. MO and the various cave entrances through which these alleged alien bases could be accessed, Wrist recalls the botched mission that led to his early retirement. This is these are uh, from this is from the book. Um, we were in a kind of cavern, only I'd say artificially hollowed out and illuminated by a greenish glow, diffuse, not from a single identifiable source. The whole area resembled um, the less exotic subterranean story descriptions, and in more recent terms, some of the modern alien-based stories you find. We were confronted by these small grayish beings, humanoid only in the technical sense, and one of our guys said Darrow and started shooting. He had an M1 rifle. Darrow? Right, there's no explanation what that means, I'm afraid. Um, he had an M1 rifle, if I recall. One shot, and the little gray being was illuminated in blue and just gone. 
There was no sound, and I felt my own gun, an M16, get unbearably hot. I dropped it, turned to run, and was confronted by two of these little gray-skinned guys with a net. Whatever had convinced me my rifle was hot had apparently not focused on my pistol, a vintage Luger, and was and one of the little net holders then received the last surprise of his life. It kind of exploded, and the other one dropped the net and ran up the slope with me suddenly in pursuit. When we got beyond the lighted area, though, it was just gone. I heard gunfire and explosions behind me, and that god-awful hum, and I continued, pistol in hand, looking around wildly to go back the way I came. Only three of us ever made it back to the surface. One of them died a year or so later of leukemia, I think. He was only about 24, 25, so maybe there's a connection. Well, it's probably more like a connection where serving in Vietnam. Well, but... <laughs> needless to say, this is all rather difficult for Greg to swallow. With such an esoteric reference, the likelihood of Greg's mysterious pen pal being an online troll, simply trying to get his kicks at the expense of well-meaning researchers, seemed dishearteningly high. And yet, and yet, looking into the matter a little further, Greg discovered not only that Pike County is rife with abandoned mines, but yeah, that yeah. Eastern Kentucky as a whole boasts the most extensive cave system in the continental U.S. and has been a hotbed of bizarre UFO sightings for decades. Mm -hmm. Greg wrote David back, asking what evidence, if any, his, uh, he could provide beyond the purely anecdotal. The reply was long in coming, several months, in fact, but come. It did. <laughs> my apologies for the time it has taken me to reply to your previous emails, wrote David. The situation at my home had become unbearable, and we chose to stay with my wife's family out of state until an appro appropriate solution could be reached. I'm at my wit's end. This afternoon, my brother-in-law and I traveled back to the house for the first time in over a month, as I needed to check on the security of my property and gather some belongings. The house seems relatively untouched, leading me to believe that the creature's motives were driven by my the presence of my family. Hmm. As you requested, I brought a camera back to the property for the purpose of photographic evidence. While my home was free of tampering, I was able to find a trail of prints that matched the size and shape of those previously left by the creatures on my property. The prints lead into the woods behind my home, following a stream that runs near the mine. My brother-in-law, an avid sportsman, cannot identify the tracks despite his skepticism. Perhaps you know of someone better suited to identify these prints. I will be sending, uh, spending the next two nights in my home and will send more images should the opportunity present itself. I'm looking forward to your thoughts. The photographs, incidentally, can be viewed at weekendandweird.com. We'll, uh, we'll post the direct link when we post this on our website, um, where our listeners can also read Greg's full article about his okay. experience with this. Now, Greg writes that a commentator, uh, a commenter, rather, on the post drew our attention to the fact that this sighting mirrors the Dover Demon case, dealing with a creature that matches the same description, down to the three-toed footprint. Another commenter mentioned that during the folk monster sightings in the 70s, a Texarkana newspaper published a very similar photo. Greg asked David to measure the footprints and include a yardstick in the photo for comparison. He didn't disappoint. The creatures came out of the woods late last evening, he wrote. I have enclosed photographs taken to the best of my ability, given the situation. I have also enclosed photographs of the creatures' footprints alongside a measuring stick. My brother-in-law is not as skeptical as he was when we arrived, and we will be <laughs> leaving before dark this evening. I look forward to hearing back from you. Seven, uh, the seven-inch footprints weren't the only evidence David managed to capture. Included in the latest email was a nighttime photo of what appears to be a vague, luminescent figure either perched on or peering out from behind the nook of a tree. 
Greg is the first to admit that the photos are anything but conclusive, but this was certainly a development. Throughout his emails, David maintained he lived in Hellier, Kentucky, but for obvious reasons declined to give an exact address. Out of equal parts diligence and playfulness, Greg assembled an impromptu team, cheekily calling itself the Alien Cave Base Task Force, to research <laughs> the matter. They compiled a mosaic of satellite images to get a feel for the area. Government records showed no less than 10 abandoned mines within a 10-mile radius. A few yeah. calls to local law enforcement confirmed that a case very much like the one described by David had been logged in their records, though police couldn't disclose more information. Much as Greg and his team wanted to lace up their boots and descend upon rural Kentucky, being based out of Canada at the time made the prospect impractical. <laughs> impractical. Now, by contacting police, however, Greg reflected in high sight, this might have frightened David off, because for whatever reason, the man never wrote him again. Huh. In an astonishing twist, however, a year after David opted for radio silence, Greg received an email from someone claiming to be none other than Terry Wrist. <gasps> no! Why did you stop when you were so close? The email asked. No! I have something for you. One week. Greg replied back, who is this? But got no response until exactly a week later. Hellier was just a symptom, it said. The ink and black are isolated still and third order MIA. Bear in mind, mm. for every door closed, a window must be opened. The door is closed. The window is opened. Use the numbers. Now, the email was rife with misspellings. That's very and, creepy. And occasional awkward spacings between random characters. Now, that is a good sign of a, of a troll. Oh, just wait. <laughs> Illiteracy is a huge... But right. At least on Twitter. Well, well attached... Uh, was the image of what appeared to be an old piece of paper scribbled with numbers written in pencil. Complete gibberish, Greg says it looked. In posting the communiques online for help, Greg learned from those who'd helped him on David's case the year before that the writing style of this person resembled that of the bizarre warnings sent to journalist John Keel in the 60s. John Keel, you may remember, was the journalist who was investigating the Mothman prophecies. Right, yes, yes, yes. Um, John Keel got a number of very threatening and bizarrely written, typewritten letters mailed to him from something calling itself the International Bankers. Now, Keel received these odd typewritten missives while researching a string of UFO sightings that had taken the Midwest by storm. And if that weren't suggestive enough, the letters came by International Post without a scrap of postage from Vietnam. <gasps> Ew! Now, on a hunch... How does that happen? <laughs> on a hunch, Greg treated the numbers provided by Terry Wrist as GPS coordinates and was struck speechless by the results. They pointed not just to North Carolina's Brown Mountain, among the most notorious sites in ufology history... Ufology. The exact... <laughs> Sorry. It makes me think of, like, the... The mythology of Ufala. These coordinates provided by Terry Wrist in the email also pointed to a the exact fucking recessed spot where Greg and his team had conducted a secret investigation <gasps> the year before that mm. no one knew about because they weren't they hadn't published their results yet. <gasps> well, that's creepy as fuck. Now we'll get into a little bit about Brown Mountain and how it ties into. Uh, the Kentucky stuff, which was, of course, hundreds of miles away. Is it a brown um, mountain? Is that why they call it brown mountain? 
it's very creative. It's <laughs> I don't mean to judge. <laughs> I think it's named after someone. We'll find out because we'll that's where out. I'm going to leave okay. the story right now. Okay. Um, because it gets significantly weirder. <gasps> but there it is. Crazy, Michael. So you know, seventy almost or something, seventy years after the Kelly Hopkinsville incident, some dude writes into an old defunct ghost hunting website and says hey can you help me these little green or these little creatures are plaguing my family out here in kentucky and when the guy writes back he's like yeah this this guy named terry uh told me to contact you and terry turns out to be the pseudonym for somebody uh, interviewed for this really fucking weird book that outlines rituals for you to invoke aliens by supposedly discovered by alistair crowley himself and then that's a lot that's a lot to get me to get behind it's a weird story but it gets like but it's the, the thing is not not the story itself it's the cults or the the it's gonna be real fucking hard to convince me that there's any kind of seance or magical thing that's gonna call forth aliens well that's that's if you believe aliens are from outer space or if you believe there's something else yeah and that's kind of where the story is going I don't know. It seems very crisscross applesauce to me. I don't like it. <laughs> Jack and I were talking this when I was making the drinks downstairs. Like, it's interesting that a lot of, um, in and I've and counted this myself, and so this is not an original thought by any means, but um, frequently uh, poltergeist activity is one of the features of a UFO sighting or people that have had encounter like quote unquote abduction experiences right. their homes or their 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 lives are plagued with what we classically refer to as poltergeist activity right. so between what we think of as ghosts and what we think of as paranormal you know paranormal in the classic sense versus paranormal in the very modern sense meaning like ghosts and demons and versus aliens and whatever like there's a lot of overlap yeah and i think Aliens and ghosts are just quite some people. I, I shouldn't say I think this because the jury is still out as far as I'm concerned. But there, there's a growing number of specialists in the field that think and these might just be different constructs that are all offshoots of the same thing. Yeah, yeah. And then cases like this make it very interesting to consider. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So. <sighs> Whew. So that's it. We'll get more into it next week. And Helen, there might even be a third part because it's a winding, winding, winding rabbit hole. Literally. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Capes. There's capes. So, yeah. That's There's... awesome. Thank you. So I thought that I thought the Orpheum being you know, Orpheus, I thought the underground, underworld connection yeah. was very interesting because that's where, for those of you that don't know, that's the, the story of Orpheus going and, and rescuing Eurydice from the underworld in Greek mythology. I yeah. Really interesting that all these, these creatures seem to be coming from the underworld. Right. Interesting. Yep. We yep, yep, shall yep. see yep. where the baby Yoda's are from. <laughs> <laughs> You're so wasted Maybe. right now. <laughs> I am not. I am I am comfortable. Comfortably and numb. I'm comfortably numb and also exhausted from the holidays. Oh, right. So I'm just in a place where there's no more stress. What was I singing? Oh, Christmas over. is over. My sanity is back. Yeah, my, my family makes me want to buy a mountain jacket. Do you have any New Year's resolutions? Uh, I do. I do. I'm going to, uh, after New Year, beginning on the first, I'm going to adhere to an extremely strict diet. To, mm -hmm. to, I'm going to bulk up and trim down at the same time. And so I'm going to get ripped. Like, I want to get, I want to get, get jacked. I want to get like Instagram jacked. Oh. And just see if there's any money in it. And then. <laughs> <laughs> 
and, uh, and I'm writing a novel. Oh yeah, yeah. that's exciting. I've already I've already begun, um, but I'm I'm gonna fucking do it. Yeah. God damn it. That's awesome. I'm running right. a little, a bunch of sketches and like short stories, stuff like that right. to kind of repair myself for. But yeah. like, I really want to, this one I was working on, I'm like, nah, this is a novel. This is too, this is too big and winding to be anything but a novel. So. Right. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, Good. Yeah. I don't want to talk more about it because I don't want to jinx myself. Right. What about you? you? Want to. What about I you? am going to practice more self-care. More. That's always a good yeah, idea. Uh, in just general ways, whether that be you know, going jogging regularly mm-hmm. or uh, massages or, you know, just taking a minute to breathe. <laughs> Sometimes when the world is coming at you, what? it's hard to remember to what breathe. What do you know so, about that? And, <laughs> not a damn thing right now. Uh, so that, <laughs> that's going to be my focus uh, this this next year. Just to, to remember to take care of me. Mm. So. I can help you with that. Great. Thank you, Michael. <laughs> I'll be a good friend who's constantly like, Jamie. Yeah. Take care of yourself. Stop eating gluten. <laughs> you're what pretty good you about doing? that. I, I am good about that. that. Like, you're very good about yeah. that. But you do. You're like, what are you doing? It's going to make you sick. It's a waffle. <laughs> Put it down. gluten free pancake mix oh god there's a god in heaven after all what's great is that this stuff takes work so i'm not gonna make it all the time well devin cooks for us all the time and like he's our basically trainer and like basically life planner right i'd like for him to come cook for us too just like (laughs) if you could could meal plan for us and cook for us ahead of time that'd be great i mean he could plan your meals he ain't gonna cook for you right there's the problem i'm not gonna loan him out we need him I can plan my meals as well, but I'm not. It's gonna, the cooking part. It's the cooking part. Well, you got to get yourself a Devon. <laughs> Where's my house, boy? He has like seven brothers. <laughs> <laughs> He's like the ghost of Christmas present. He's fantastic. He is a present. He is. He uh, is. I okay. Well, on that note, happy new year, everybody. Happy new year. Um, We hope that you had fantastic holidays, whatever holiday you celebrate. Hashtag all holidays matter. Uh, hashtag we're glad all holidays are over hashtag all holidays are over <laughs> celebrate that I think they are I'm not sure I think they are welcome in 2020 goodbye 2019 um, you were a real asshole at times and I don't appreciate that but oh thank you God. for the good times <laughs> and in April it's gonna be 420 all month <laughs> oh my god <laughs> Did I just blow your mind? Yes. Oh, I got that. I stole that from some guy on it's TikTok. Good. I didn't even think about it. Um, <laughs> that's another one. I'm gonna figure out what this TikTok stuff is. Figure out. I how only that know because of Brandon. Oh my God, he does Serafina the, he does found the me. The TikToks. Oh, the TikToks. Um, she found me on Instagram, and I'm like, fuck. She's like, no. She's an iPhone, and I've got to go through and put some parental sensors on that so she can't <laughs> so see she what doesn't... I'm really like. <laughs> No, YouTube. That's fucking no. relatable. Yeah, she's uh, going to know. So if you're listening, don't use the words I use. Uh, <laughs> okay, so on that note, thank you guys for listening. Thank you for another fucking amazing year. Yeah, yeah. This has been our full first full year of yeah, podcasting. Our first full year. First full 
Yes. Like calendar year. Calendar year. And so it will only get better from here, I'm sure. Uh, Thank you again, everybody, um, for your support, for your patrons, for Patreon. Yes, yes, yes. Um, We are going to be more active. We're going to get... We're going to be more active. We're probably going to reconfigure it a little bit to something that works a little better for us. You have to try it to be like, "Mm, that's not going to (laughs) work. So we're going to redo that. We're going to come out with new shirts. Uh, If you have ideas, let us know. If there's something that we're not doing that you think that we should be doing, please email us, tweet us, let us know uh, what you're thinking. And... uh, We'll see if we can remedy that. Or, or if we're going to be like, no, that's way too much. We're not going to find it. <laughs> we welcome your recommendations. But that's right. That's right. We'd love to hear what you guys think. Um, so, Happy New Year. Happy New Year, indeed. Enjoy what's left of this year. And yes. may your 2020 be fucking amazing. And if you haven't had an experience and want one, may it happen for you. But only here, in like, here. the best way. <laughs> and then you better fucking send us your stories. Hell yes. <laughs> And on that note, remember, it's it's okay okay to sleep with with the lights on. on.